fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market laissez-faire capitalist society allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Well, you're darn right it is. It is The Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier. It is a midweek celebration, which means we are halfway through the post-post-Monday, the pre-pre-Friday, however you want to look at it. I still think it's the greatest day of the entire week. Welcome in, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. So many issues, so little time. That is the story of our life here on the show. So welcome into it. This is the Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations all over, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch, listen to the show. Your Millennial General reporting for duty. Welcome. We love you to death. Coming up on the show today, Kevin Hallinan. I am really excited to have him on the show at the bottom of the hour. He is a professional sports security and operations leader. He has worked for the New York Police Department. He has worked for the FBI. He has worked for the Joint Terrorism Task Force. And we'll talk about crime in New York City. We'll talk about domestic terrorism. We'll talk about real terror. I mean, remember, I mean, come on, according to Joe Biden, the MAGA individuals, the Republican crowd, the Trump supporters, they are the domestic terrorists of the nation today, right? <laughs> well. We'll ask him about that and talk about crime in New York and how do we stop some of the terrorist threats in this nation, both foreign and domestic. We'll get into all that with Kevin coming up at the bottom of the hour. Lots of stuff to get to as well. Election updates. We have a debate that happened between Ron DeSantis and his Democrat opponent and Ron DeSantis kind of bringing the shutdown on him. It was cute. It was fun. It was fun to watch. Do you get a whole lot of substance out of debates? No, you don't. But at least it's entertaining. And maybe you can get a little snippet here and there with their uh, nice little uh, tweety 130-character bullet point argument. And then they take a jab at each other, which is where we're at in debate today, unfortunately. And it bugs me. It bugs me and it entertains me all at the same time. It bugs me because I debated professionally. I know exactly the the order, how you're supposed to do it, the cross-examination, how you're supposed to do this in a timely manner. We don't do that anymore, obviously. It's all about the show. So for entertainment purposes, it's fun. For For value purposes, you don't get a whole lot of out of it. But we'll cover that here in just a bit. Will Ron DeSantis be the next Republican candidate for president in 2024? That's will be the end-all, be-all question. So we'll get into that here in just a bit. Before we get into the topic today, I have to admit, I am, uh, some people saw my social media post last night. I am sore. I got my workout more than what I intended to do. So as I was on the air yesterday, I got a message from Mrs. Voice of Reason, and the house that we have had just, a, it's and it's had it for a while, but we haven't really been a big cause for concern. Just a tiny little drip with the main water line that comes into our house from the from the outside. Just tiny drip. Not a big deal. We make sure that there's no cracks. The foundation's solid. It's great. Whatever. Just tiny little drip. It's been going on for a little bit. So it's been kind of in the back of our minds of, hey, we probably need to address this. Is it a bad pipe somewhere? Is there something, you know, within the concrete that we need to be aware of? What's going on? Well, they've been paving our street. And with all the construction on our street, they've had a lot of machinery, obviously, that's been kind of rattling the house. Well, the rattling of the house from the big construction parts have caused the water to drip a lot more frequent than what it was in the past. 
So we had to bring a plumber out to take a look at it. They fixed the spit because right beside the main water into the house, there's a water spigot on the outside that goes right back out. And we thought maybe it was that. So they replaced that, didn't fix it. In fact, it made it worse, and now it was dripping even more. So they recommended, hey, it's probably the water line that connects from the main water from the city and then connects to the line that goes into the house, into the foundation, which means you get to dig down to your water line in your front yard. Now, the plumber was going to be back out again today, which means I had to dig the hole last night when I got home. And by about 1030, I finally had it done. And let me tell you, I don't know what the hell people are talking about with the drought because it was heavy. It was soaking wet. It was nothing but intense clay. I would put the shovel into the ground and it would just suck down in there. It was that soaking wet. So there was definitely somewhere. Don't know if we found it yet or not. I have not heard the word on the home front, but oh yes, I got my workout last night digging down, what was it, 47, 49 inches down into the ground to that water line that went into the house. So uh, yeah, it was a fun night last night and I'm feeling it today. Now I enjoy my workouts. I get to work out maybe every once in a while. I do a little bit here and there, but that one, whew, took another toll on me. So if you see me cringing a little bit on the video stream today, that's all it is. Still feeling great. Still ready to rock and roll. But that's the story of from the Hoosier house today. So thank you very much for that time. Just for that little sounding board. All right, let's get into what's trending today. What do you say? What's trending today? Now, uh, I say this with a cause for concern and uh, a bit of sarcasm from the other side, because as you know, Democrats and progressives always have to have their uh, their scarecrow their shadow person, the one that they always had, the boogeyman, if you want to say, the straw man arguments where they have to create an issue and then attack the issue. And it's not necessarily a substantial issue, but it's an issue that they create for themselves too because they have to have an enemy to go after. They play in the politics of fear. They play in the politics of anger. They play in the politics of some very extreme emotions. And that's how they turn out their voter base. So I say this in the sense of let's not pay attention to the loons. At the same time, let's not become what they're accusing Republicans and conservatives of being. There's a new headline out, and this is from MSN, and they've been ta- I've been holding off on talking about this for a while because I don't know how deep I really want to get into this issue. But MSN ran a story today where there's apparently a new term. Donald Trump used to be the main, like, if you're a Trump supporter, again, you're the domestic terrorist, you're the most extreme political organization out there is MAGA, you are the radicals in this nation, and you're probably the worst people on the face of the earth. But they're creating a new scarecrow, a new straw man, a new boogeyman that they're coming after. And that is what they're calling now Christian nationalism. Now, I ask you, what is Christian nationalism? And do we have it in this nation? Being a Christian religious individual myself, I say spiritual individual, I haven't gone to church in a while, so I don't necessarily associate with one denomination or another, but I'm very spiritual, very uh, connected with spiritual beliefs and religion and God and Jesus. So, I mean, I have my Christian values. So according to MSN and the story here, what is Christian nationalism? According to them, it's an ideology that says Christianity is the foundation of the United States and that government should protect that foundation. According to some political scientists, they term Christ, uh, they deem Christian nationalism, uh, mentioned between tweets from July 2022 and throughout 2021, of Christian nationalism. And they point towards certain elected officials, like Lauren Boeber out of the state of Colorado, who I'm a very big fan of. I really enjoy her. 
But she said this at one of her local churches. And the reason we had so many overreaching regulations in our nation is because the church complied. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. That is not how our founding fathers intended it. And I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk that's not in the Constitution. It was in a stinking letter, and it means nothing like what they say it does. <laughs> okay. There's a lot to break down here. Now, the reason I've been holding off on this conversation is because it's a deep one, and we don't have a lot of time on the show to get into really deep issues as much as I would like to do so, because we could probably do three hours on this subject all by itself. So the question I ask you, which you can leave on social media as a comment, you can also email me at whosyourmedianetwork at gmail.com. Do we live in a Christian nation, and is there such a thing as Christian nationalism? As I'm assuming the vast majority of listeners that we have on this program are Christian, as I am myself. And religious to some degree, as I am myself. She mentions a couple interesting points, and I agree with her, but I also disagree with her. And again, I think this is more of a scarecrow, straw man argument that Democrats are creating of, oh, look at the Christian nationalism trying to oppose their religious wills upon everybody else, which is what they're trying to create here. And we have to be very careful with how they're interpreting this because that's what they're going after. They're going after you saying that you're trying to impose your will into somebody else. And I really hope that's not the case. And I don't think that we actually are. If anybody's seen that show on Hulu, The Handmaid's Tale, that's what essentially that show is about is that Christian um, Nazis essentially come in, dominate the government, take over the government say everything's based on a certain scripture or a biblical text, and then impose oppression onto certain individuals on what they're allowed and not allowed to do. They create this hierarchy. They create slave women that's going to impregnate because of the shortage of pop and shortage of you know new babies or whatever the case is. That is the fear of this Christian nationalism. Now, what she mentions with separation of church and state, she is right. There is no, I take that back. Yes, there is. No, there is not. There is a separation of church and state, but not in the way that progressives and Democrats have always tried to interpret this issue. There is a separation of church and state because when the founding fathers came over, when we fought against the United Kingdom and England for our sovereignty, and when we came over as pilgrims all the way back when, as we get closer to Thanksgiving time, we came over because we wanted religious freedom to practice religion how we wanted and not have religion tied in with the government. Meaning, there should not be a national religion that everybody must abide by, and if you don't abide by it, then you're a heretic and we'll burn you at the stake and cast you out and tar and feather you if you do not believe the same way that we do. In England at that time, obviously, we had the Church of England, where the church is just as powerful as the government, and they could knock on your door, and they could collect your taxes, and wonder why the hell you went at church that Sunday, and if you were doing anything shady, then we were going to burn you at the stake because you were probably a witch. That's what we didn't want in this nation. The pilgrims that had their own religious beliefs had a little bit different flavor of religious belief than what the Church of England did, so they came over and said, we want freedom of religion. We can practice however we want. Leave us the hell alone. And that's why we have tax breaks to where we have the churches that don't pay taxes because they are a separate entity. They do their own thing. And the church does not involve itself with politics. And the government shouldn't involve itself with the church to tell us to believe one way or the other. So, yes, there is a separation. But, no, there's not a separation, on the other hand, because at the same time, those that are elected into office obviously have their own religious beliefs.
you cannot have a social stance on a social issue such as LGBTQ issues or abortion issues or very sensitive family value issues without having that in some way, shape, or form being held based on your religious preferences, whatever those may be. And I don't really care what those are. So yes and no. There is no constitutional law that says you must believe a certain way. There is no constitutional law that says you must be a Christian or that the church is tied in with the government, which is a good thing in the intention of a separation of church and state and the religious freedom that we have in this nation. But no, there is not a separation because your values that you hold to you, your moral standards that you hold and live in your life every single day are based on, for the most part, some type of religious or spiritual beliefs that you have or lack thereof, whatever those may be. So when we talk about separation of church and say yes and no, she did say something, though, that I completely disagree with. And the reason we had so many overreaching regulations in our nation is because the church complied. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. I agree with I disagree with that. The church is not supposed to direct the government on anything. Individuals direct the government. We the people direct the government and we direct it in part based on our values from our religious beliefs. But the church itself, an establishment of a church, does not direct the government, nor should it. So if that is the nationalism that they are talking about, that is a cause for concern, because I do not agree with that, because the church needs to stay away from politics and not get involved. Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason, common sense, rationale. Welcome back into the program. That's what we're all about here on this show, Christian nationalism. Getting some interesting comments on some of the social media feeds right now, agreeing, disagreeing with how we're approaching this. Now, look, here's and here's the good part about this is that we are on the winning side of this argument. We just have to play our cards properly because, look, are we a Judeo-Christian nation? We are based on a lot of those principles. Not all of the founding fathers were extremely religious like that, but most of them were. So we do have a lot of our laws based on those. So here's the thing. While I disagree with Lauren Boebert in the sense that the church should be dictating to the government because that shouldn't be at all. They should be completely two separate entities there. We don't want a state-sanctioned church. You realize how many denominations of quote-unquote Christianity there are? The different practices, the different interpretations. Yeah, I'm not getting down that road of the debate on how it should be run. Let's say if that happened or the church ended up running with the government hand in hand. That's not what we're about. We are about religious freedom. Any religion can be here in the United States. And honestly, if you look at most of the religions, you see a lot of comparisons and similarities between a lot of them in their teachings. Um, But we do have a Judeo-Christian basis for this nation. So here's the best part about this argument. When we debate with a progressive, we don't use religious texts or religious quotes to try and win over an argument when we talk about social issues. And as much as we like to do so sometimes with maybe the LGBTQ or abortion issues on the value of life or on the you know sanctity of marriage or the sanctity of the family values or the family whatever, uh, as much as we want to go down the road of the religious and moral argument, We have to shy away from those in a political discussion because if they don't hold those same texts as the quality that we do, 
then it means nothing. That's like going to a debate on taxes and trying to bring, bring a book on regarding border security. It doesn't work because they don't jive together and they don't see it as relevant in the discussion. The good part about us is that our Constitution is based on a lot of those qualities and values. So when we argue through the Constitution, we're also arguing our religious stances. Limited government, individual sovereignty, and the three pillars of conservatism that is life, liberty, and private property. You have the right to practice any way that you want to. You can have your religious belief any way that you want to with the freedom of religion. You get to believe any way that you want to as long as you defend life, which in my case would be the abortion issue, liberty, to practice however you want to. If you want to be a uh, lampshade in your home, then all the power to you. Be a lampshade. Be that best damn lampshade that you could possibly be in your home and color yourself however you want to. I don't really care. Have that liberty to do so. It's different when you walk out that door and you try to be addressed to as from the general public because there's a social norm of what we accept and don't accept. But in your privacy of your own home, be the best damn lampshade that you possibly want to be. And private property. Don't tax me, bro. Leave me alone. Let me live my life however I want to. Christian values, constitutional values, conservative values, they all work hand in hand. Now, what we need to be careful of is playing into their card and doing what they're accusing some of the right of doing, which is that quote-unquote Christian nationalism, trying to impose one's values onto another person's values because they're all different. The prime example I can see is the state of Missouri. After the reversal of Roe v. Wade, Missouri not only tried to ban abortion, but they tried to go after civil penalties for those trying to leave the state to get abortions in other states. That's a little bit of an infringement. While I agree with not wanting abortion because we're trying to hold up the sanctity of life and the value of a human life, if someone chooses to go to another state to do that, that's their own prerogative. It's unfortunate, it's heartbreaking, and it's sad, but that's why we have federalism with states making their own choices as opposed to a national overbearingness. We don't want to impose our will onto somebody else just because we think that's the way it should be, which I think some do fall into. So while I think this is a bit of a boogeyman and a straw man attack from the Democrats trying to create their next big enemy, which is evil, extreme religious individuals, let's not become that by trying to overbear as well. We have our limited rights in our government or our limited uh, limited government intrusion, our limited regulations. We try to hold up our states the best way we can. We lead by example with our family and our local communities. And by that, we lead by the example. We don't legislate by our will. Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Very interesting discussion. And again, we've only just scratched the surface on that one. I want to get back to it a little bit later because is that the focus that we need to go? Is that the direction that we need to take the Republican Party and focus more on that? Or is it just the, hey, let's focus on our conservative values that bleed into the religious beliefs of others as well? Limited government, life, liberty, and private property, the three pillars of conservatism that we try to hold up. I said yesterday as we broke down how we can win over different demographics that normally don't hear about nor know of conservative and Republican values. How do we win them over? Because we have a lot of things in similar, don't we? We have a lot of things parallel to us that we could actually have in common. 
It's just reaching out and letting them know about it. We win on ideas, which is why Democrats love so much to be able to build that straw man, that boogeyman to try and go after us in so many different ways. Welcome back into the show. Uh, We're moving through the half hour here, trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five pound bag, having more fun than what we should be each and every day. I want to shift gears a little bit, though. I'm really happy and excited to talk about our next topic here and have our next guest on as we talk about, and this is a conversation we haven't had in a while, crime rates terrorism, threats to the country, threats to certain cities. Uh, As we're seeing, really, crime has been increasing over the last few years, a lot of it with COVID-19. But are there deeper malicious things at play as well? And how do we stop some of that as we get into our latest in what's trending? What's trending today? Really happy to have this guy on the program. He is an innovative leader. And kind of an icon for professional sports security and operations. He's also worked with the FBI and NYPD, a joint terrorism task force. He's worked to try and fight crime left and right. He's like a Jack Bauer. He's also author of the book Over the Wall, From the Dangerous Streets of New York City Through the Birth of Counterterrorism and Beyond. Excited to have on the program Mr. Kevin Hallinan. Kevin, how are you, my friend? Very well, Andy. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's a it's a fascinating conversation, and it's something that we we haven't heard the word terrorism in a while. It's been a few years since we've talked about you know radical Islamic terrorism or terrorism in the country. The last time I heard it was when Joe Biden said any Trump supporter and a MAGA uh, individual is a domestic terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, uh, Andy, I think, uh, quite honestly, through a lot of good work uh, of the FBI, NYPD, and let me tell you something, a myriad of law enforcement agencies, uh, federal, state, and local, that came together and and very quickly uh, brings robbery, uh, armored car robbery in Rockland County in 1981, October 20th, Mm. in which two police officers and a Brinks guard were killed. And it really kind of sent a message because it was six different terrorist groups working together uh, to make sure that they were going out and doing armored car robberies. They were doing uh, successful jailbreaks. Uh, They were responsible for bombings. The city was totally chaotic in the 70s and 80s. And it truly, the FBI and NYPD, two very serious competitors, uh, not working together, finally did come together and made a difference with, like I say, there were so many uh, United States attorneys, district attorneys, uh, police officers in small towns and in major cities. It took five years, but it clearly was a team effort by law enforcement to make it all happen. Uh, we had, uh, after the Brinks, the 1982 FALN, Five bombs, New Year's Eve, uh, around uh, Lower Manhattan, the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, the task force, the NYPD. We had three police officers very seriously injured and another another very active group that was putting bombs uh, around the city and, and also bombing uh, some of the so-called military-industrial complex. So there was a very disciplined uh, when we hit one of their safe houses, one of four we hit the day of the Brinks robbery, they had explosives, they had automatic weapons, ammunition, disguises, and all kinds of, of uh, phony identification. So this was a very determined, very committed group, and they would, uh, uh, I hate to say it, a worthy adversary 
because they 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 gave us uh, a lot of work, but again, a lot of good people all working against them that finally ended it. In fact, by 1985. Uh, through so much help from all of law enforcement, over 100 domestic terrorists were arrested. And really that, that year ended all that the chaos that was going on with regards to criminal and terrorist behavior, and not until 1993 with the first World Trade bombing that things start up again. Wow. It is. I I had never heard that story. I mean, I was born in 1988, so that was a little bit before my time. But how does something like that even happen? I mean, obviously, even if the FBI, the CIA is not working together with local law enforcement in the areas, I mean, how does a how does a terrorist organization get such types? I mean, come on, we have gun laws. We we can't have fully automatic rifles. How dare we even uh, have those on our streets? How does an organization grow to be that size? to put an assault on a large city at that capacity. That's fascinating to me. Well, one of the, one of the ways initially with the FALN, there was a group called the Machateros in Puerto Rico that were going after U.S. military facilities there. And they ended up helping form the FALN, which was the domestic group uh, based principally in New York and Chicago. And they began bombing different uh, uh, military, uh, police. Uh, it was in Chicago, finally, the FBI, the state police, Secret Service, and Chicago Police Department had an informal task force, and they started to put it all together. Well, obviously, in New York, we were running into the same problems. And we decided Again, it started in, in 1979 with a memorandum of understanding to put together this task force, worked very closely with Chicago and then with other cities. But they were able, clearly able to get weapons, explosives. And at that time, and you were able to steal explosives from con- construction sites. They had very little labeling on it, and that was something, obviously, that, that we got into working uh, with the uh, construction industry to to turn that around so that any time we found any explosive that we picked up, in a, if you will, in the remnants of a, of a bombing scene, we could tell where it came from. And there was a signature to each one of these bombs that they put down because we had Omega-7, another Cuban terrorist group, that also was involved in bombings in New York City. See, New York City... If you did it in New York City, it was not only a national event, it was an international event. And that's what they concentrated on. And to avoid infiltration by law enforcement, they came together. And and clearly that was the message to law enforcement. We had to do the same thing. Yeah, we had to work together. That is very scary. What is the bigger threat, in your opinion, Today and over the years that you've seen and followed all this stuff, is it international terrorism threats from, say, Islamic states over in the Middle East? Is it different gangs like MS-13 that are coming into the country now uh, that uh, in these cartels? Or is it homegrown domestic terrorism that's brewing that, uh, according to the media, is growing as well? What's the bigger threat right now in the country, in your opinion? Well, you know, Andy, obviously, I've been out of the business a while. But what I did do to help the... Uh, the FBI in a country. I have two sons who are FBI agents, mm. and and they are 
they are obviously, as is my whole family, involved in service. And uh, uh, I'm not going to get into what, what I see because uh, what do they say? You only know what you read in the newspapers. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not counting on that. But uh, I think if you get into this book and you see just uh, how we got into the situation in New York, and it was a very difficult situation. In one year, we had 12 New York City police officers assassinated. Wow. Okay? I mean, it was just absolutely chaotic. Now, the city was broke. They ended up during that period, by the way, laying off over 3,000 police officers because the city didn't have the money to pay them. And here we were in the middle of this war on crime, on terrorism, and, and yet, again, because of the men and women in uh, these departments and agencies, we were able to get it done. But as somebody said, with a lot of help from my friends. Yeah. Absolutely. We're talking with Kevin Helen and author of the book Over the Wall from the Dangerous Streets of New York City through the birth of counterterrorism and beyond as he's a, a commander, FBI, NYPD, uh, former their Joint Terrorism Task Force. Uh, talk about crime in New York City right now. Obviously, crime has been going up over the last few years, really since uh, the uh, the end of the Giuliani reign there as mayor of New York City. And after 9-11, uh, things were running well. Things were running smooth. But now it's kind of uh, increasing the crime is that terrorist-related, or do you think there is a growing threat of terrorism in New York City again? Well, I, quite honestly, Andy, I don't think it's... Uh, it's uh, the terrorists uh, clearly are domestic. They, they're within our own population, mm. and they certainly don't have the organization that, that groups had that we were battling. But as you recall, we had a couple of good mayors. Mayor Koch. Sure. Uh, how am I doing? <laughs> He was doing pretty well, and, and the Bloomberg also was an excellent mayor, but it's gone downhill since that, unfortunately. Uh, uh, I, again, I don't want to mention his name, but uh, he gave the city away and put us in the situation they're in today. New York, uh, like I say, is in a tough spot, but any as it was before during the years that I was in business uh, in law enforcement, uh, we can turn it around. We shouldn't be defeated. We, we've got to turn it around. We've got to work with, uh, uh, obviously, our police officers, morale-wise, training-wise. We've got to gotta do better in the police department. we, we got to do better. Kevin, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Yes, sir. Hey, fantastic. Hang on the line here. We'll get to you here again in just a couple of minutes as we wrap up the show. Lots more questions I want to ask as we talk about threats, crime, terrorism. How do we keep our streets safe moving forward right here in the country? This is The Voice of Reason. It is a Wednesday. Stay right here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. We need another hour or two or three on this program. Good golly, we have way too short a time. Welcome back into the show. Last few minutes as we wrap up for a midweek celebration. We have lots more to get to here. We're hanging out today with Kevin Hallinan, author of the book Over the Wall from the Dangerous Streets of New York City through the birth of counterterrorism and beyond. Trying to save us again. Jack Bauer style, baby. Making sure that the bad guys don't win at the end of the day. Kevin, talk about you also have the experience. Did you see that show, 24? Greatest show on the face of the earth. Well, I, actually, uh, 
and what I did was when I went to Major League Baseball uh, with after 9-11, as you might suspect, uh, I, I thought they had the right guy with my background to make our 30 stadiums safe and secure mm. and have, have a program. But what I did, I developed a video and got my uh, colleagues in the other three professional leagues to kick in some pretty good money along with Major League Baseball, uh, a video called 24-7 which basically was about a terrorist attack on a, a major stadium at a major event. Wow. And uh, it is still being used today, as I found out, <laughs> uh, by convention centers and, and even the ballparks uh, roll it out every once in a while. But it really it got everybody's attention. And I, I showed it to the players as well because I showed them there was they, they were a part of the piece of the puzzle, too, because. Some of the explosives were snuck in in a car that belonged to a player. But anyway, 24-7 was, uh, was a big hit uh, and more importantly made a difference in getting our stadiums to uh, uh, put their house in order and make sure that uh, we weren't doing the same things over and over. We had to think, unfortunately, like the terrorists in our planning. We had to be agile. We had to be able to uh, you know, change things security-wise. Don't show the same picture every day. I can imagine. I can't. I can imagine it can't be just the routine, same um, step by step clockwork stuff. Because when you're dealing with someone that wants to do harm to a vast amount of people, you have to be on your toes and adapt on the change. So talk in just. We got a couple of minutes here as we kind of wrap up the show here. But talk about some of those security measures. What have you seen, and what kind of protocols have been in place that you helped get into place at especially sporting events or large venues uh, like this? Because I can only imagine that's the dream for a terrorist to try and hit the most amount of people that are all congregated into one place. Absolutely. The first thing I did was I had each team, and they weren't excited about it because they said they didn't want to cop in their kitchen. But I went out and got in 30 different locations, uh, the police department, spoke with the chief and got the best police officers they had who was a full-time police officer, worked full-time with Major League Baseball as a security consultant, not do police work, but make sure that baseball security protocol was in place. That I put that in in 1987. It is still in place today. Wow. And it was very important that they realize, you know, obviously we all had a responsibility. And more important, uh, Andy, we didn't just limit our circle of security to the ballpark. We made that circle a lot larger, looking at, at, at railroad tracks, looking at uh, chemical uh, plants that were nearby. We had to make sure that we were looking at the big picture and not just, just become so focused on the ballpark because a lot of what was going to happen may happen in the area surrounding the ballpark. So your, your plan had to be complete and thorough. And I tell you what, the stadium operations from all the clubs all jumped in. And I have great cooperation from uh, the different federal agencies as well. They were very, very pleased. Uh, by the way, the President Bush, if you recall, came to New York after 9-11. And I had Yankee Stadium uh, to take care of that night, which was a very, very interesting night. Wow. The Fifth Empire, by the way, turned out to be a Secret Service guy. That's another story. Unbelievable. I can't wait. we got to get you back on to tell some more of these stories because that is absolutely fascinating. And uh, just the, 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 
the threat, the mind you have to have to think about every potential opportunity of where they could attack and how they could go after you is, uh, I commend you, I commend you and your entire family and your sons, like you said, for being involved in the FBI and law enforcement as well. It's Kevin Hallinan over the wall from the dangerous streets of New York City through the birth of counterterrorism and beyond. Kevin, thank you so much for all that you've done, my friend. I'd love to get you back on again soon. Andy, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Hey, appreciate that very much. There we go. We'll get him back on the program. Fascinating conversation. Good golly. I would love to sit and just hear those stories for an hour. Maybe we'll have to do that on this program sometime. Until then, though, we're out of time today. Back at it tomorrow. Podcast up in just a little bit. We'll be back tomorrow for the pre-Friday celebration. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. Be that representative of proper values and holding that family values and doing your thing in the community. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.